like that. You want to try Hello, everybody. That. Welcome like to this Wednesday match. edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I am in a fantastic, fantastic mood today, and I will tell you why here in a little bit. But first and foremost, let's go over the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and like and follow the Facebook page. We should be done with our quarterback prospect rankings for Friday's episode. So make sure you go to all those different forms of social media, click on it there. Or you can go to the LoganBlattmanShow.com and go into the blog section or scroll down to the main page to view our latest article. And first and foremost, I guess not first and foremost because we're this is the thing we're ending it with, but make sure you're following and or subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. The only way you know what I'm saying right now is if you're listening to the show and if you're not or you're not sure you're subscribed, might as well check and then click the subscribe button and then leave a rating on a five stars. It can be a one-star rating or a five-star rating. I don't care. Just as long as you leave a description down below so we can either A, keep doing the same thing, or B, get better, or C, just stop the show in general because it's an unfixable thing that we just need to burn alive. That's essentially what we need to do with that. So just make sure you do all that different stuff for the Logan Blyman Show. I would greatly appreciate it. Now, I would like to apologize for not having a Monday show. As you know, Sunday was Mother's Day, so I was spending time with my mom with my grandparents, with my aunt and uncle. So we had the whole family over. I guess we had the whole family over. We were at family's houses this weekend. And I was back home. Well, my sister's back. We moved my sister out of her apartment in Cedar Falls. We talked about that one on Friday's show. So the whole family's back in town. We got family members all around on Mother's Day. So I was spending time with my mom. And when I was spending time with my mom, I got done at my parents' house, so we went to go get pizza at Bredo Pizza, so you want to sponsor us, Bredo, I get your pizza quite a bit. So, I say quite a bit, I don't really get it all that often, but when I do order pizza, a lot of the times, it's Bredo. I don't know if you can get a much better uh, ad than that. I don't know if you can get a much better one than that, so we'll try our thing, see if we, me and Bredo can get some things going around, because me and Bredo are on very good terms, at least at this point in time. And I was hanging out at my parents' house, and I looked at the clock, and it was 8.30 or 9 o'clock. I was like, good lord! You losers! Not to my mom, obviously, because it was Mother's Day. I can't call her a loser on Mother's Day. But you losers, excluding mom, have kept me here longer than I expected to be here. I don't remember what movie we were watching. It was some movie back from the 70s. It was pretty funny. I don't remember what it was called, though. But I'm sitting on the floor playing with the dogs, and I look at the clock. I got, good lord, we gotta leave. So I get in the car, I drive back, I sit down to record the show, I turn on the microphone and everything, and I'm ready to press record, and I'm sitting there about to fall asleep. And as I sit there about to fall asleep, the more and more it starts going in my head that this show would be absolutely crap had I recorded a show, because I am going to fall asleep. And I do not really want to fall asleep while I'm recording a show, because A, you wouldn't hear it ever, and then B, I would have wasted my time, and I don't like falling asleep in other places that's not my bed. Like, I get my friends ask me all the time, like, and this is, I, this is not me just saying this, okay? Because, you know, I mean, so many people ask me this. A lot of my friends do ask me, because I got a couch in my living room. As you know, most people do have couches in their living room. And it's like an L-shaped couch. And there's one, the L-shaped couch, it's not like a bunch of seats on one end of the L. It's just three-seater. But one of them's got like a, I don't know what you want to call it. 
There's a specific name for it, but I can't think of what it's called, but it's a very comfortable spot. It's a very comfortable spot. And they asked me if I've fallen asleep there. I have a recliner, too. They've asked me if I've fallen asleep in that. And I go, no. If, it, if it's not in my bed, I try not to fall asleep. I can't take naps anyways. So if I fall asleep in a couch or a chair or even on the floor, I am completely zapped of all energy. Like, there are very, very, very rare times that has happened. And the times that I have fallen asleep on places that is not my bed, usually it is a couch when I'm sick or something. Or if we went on plowed snow the night before or the day of, and I'm just exhausted because we've been plowing snow for 12 hours. Those are the only two times I really fall asleep on things that are not my bed. So, yeah, I don't even know how we got there. How did we get there? <laughs> I don't know how that led into anything. I don't know how that led into anything, but man, just tired, just been tired. And today I'm I'm in, I'm in relatively good spirits. I got a big jug of water next to me, and we're ready to go. And when you have big jugs of water, like what's something when you're doing a physical activity, you need to hydrate before, right? You need to make sure you're all hydrated because you don't want to get dehydrated, but you also don't want to drink too much water because then you can get a side cramp, and then you're like, oh my god, I hate my life. And I've had those numerous times. And the times I've had side cramps, about 90% of the time, I was playing soccer. 90%, especially as a kid, like growing up playing soccer. So I played soccer from first grade all the way to my senior year of high school. I played a lot of soccer in my time. I play soccer now. I meet up with some friends over in Grimes. We go out and play soccer. And those times, it sucks. You got to make sure you hydrate all throughout the day and not just hydrate right before. Thankfully, we're not performing any, you know, soccer skills today. But we are going to be talking about some soccer. Great segue right there. We're going to be talking about some soccer today because some massive, massive news took place on the United States men's national team front as of today, May 16th, which to the day, to the day, if I'm not mistaken, it is a month until the United States plays Mexico in Las Vegas in Paradise City, Nevada. I'm fairly confident at the Raiders Stadium, Allegiant Stadium, the Death Star, the Roomba, whatever you want to call it, the toilet, whatever, a month until the United States plays Mexico, the United States gets one of their, probably, maybe even the biggest dual national commit in history, for the United States history. I'm not going to say in the history of sports ever, because Jamal Musiala going from England to Germany was a pretty massive one as well, just for the here and now. Obviously, there's going to be other ones around as well, like the other ones like I can think off the top of my head, like Diego Costa making his debut for Port for Brazil, and then like seven months later, announcing he's getting a Spanish passport to go play for Spain in the 2018 World Cup, or 2014 World Cup, sorry, which is in Brazil. <laughs> and I remember at that time, Diego Costa was like the biggest striker on the planet, or one of the most popular, one of the most feared strikers on the planet for Atletico Madrid. And then once Spain, the reigning world champions, come into the World Cup, you're like, oh, they just got Diego Costa. This, this tournament's a wrap. This tournament's a wrap. And they get absolutely blasted by the Netherlands in the first game, 4-1. Absolutely blasted. And then they lose to Costa Rica, and then they get a pity win against Australia. Like it, Or not Costa Rica. Who'd they beat? Because was, was Costa Rica in that group? No, they were in England's group. Who, did, who else was in that group with Spain and Italy? 2014 World Cup. Spain, Italy, uh, Chile. Chile. Chile was in that group. Chile beat up on Spain as well. So there's, there's, you know, there's positives and negatives to do nationals. The United States, as a country that was pretty much built off immigrants, you're going to have a lot of people that are dual nationals. 
It's just going to happen. So you're going to have people from all over the face of the earth playing for the United States men's national team. And a lot of those players, like it really started during that 2014 World Cup with Jurgen Klinsmann taking the United States to his first World Cup. Obviously, Bob Bradley was the manager for the 2010 one. And then they go into 2014 with Jurgen Klinsmann. And a lot of the players that were on that United States men's national team were dual nationals, and a lot of them were German players. You look at the likes of Fabian Johnson, you look at John Brooks, you look at Timothy Chandler, you look at Jermaine Jones, you look at Aaron Johansson, who was Iceland, uh, um, possible Iceland international, Mix Diskerud, a possible Norwegian uh, international. Who was some other ones? Those are just the ones I can think of off the top of my head. But you get my point. The United States has a lot of dual nationals, and over the past few years, the United States has been getting some major, major coups in the dual national department. You look at Sergio Des coming over to the United States. You look at Jonas Musa coming to the United States. Key, key players to the future of the United States men's national team. Anthony, Ed- or Anthony Robinson coming over. Like, you've got some big guys here that are key contributors to the United States right now. And throughout the history of the United States men's national team, the biggest, probably, if you could get, if you had uh, assume this role, I guess you could maybe come up with some other options. But if you look at the weakest areas for the United States men's national team throughout its history, the weakest position for me has been the striker position. We've talked about the striker position for the United States and the lack thereof a lot on this show. Like You look at the fact that Josie Altidore, the most capped striker the United States has, one of the top goal scorers of all time. I think he's third in the all-time list behind Dempsey, Dempsey and Donovan, who each got, I think, 57 goals. Josie Altidore, I think, had 41. And Josie Altidore for the entirety of his United States men's national team career, went unchallenged, absolutely unchallenged. Physically gifted, athletic, but just didn't... There were stretches that he'd have that he'd just go completely cold. You look at his time at Sunderland. Across a season, he scored one goal and was starting for the United States men's national team and their next international fixtures. How many other teams around the world, a team that has aspirations like the United States has a guy that is scoring one goal for his club and then he's just the guaranteed starter or a lock to make the squad the next time around. The United States couldn't develop strikers. They had the likes of Chris Wondolowski, who's one of the greatest goal scorers in MLS history. Bobby Wood had a good stretch. Jazzy Zardes has had good stretches. Aaron Johansson looked all right early on and then just went to the 2014 World Cup once Josie got hurt, did nothing there. Like the United States has had a very hard time developing and nurturing strikers until recently. And I don't know what happened recently, but this is another this is the best group of strikers the United States has had probably ever. Probably ever. We talk about dual nationals again. Ricardo Pepe choosing the United States over Mexico. That was a massive coup. Remember when the Pepe train started? And he scored the goal in the the winning I think it was the winning penalty in the MLS All-Star game against the Mexican All-Star team? You remember when that happened? 19 years old, dominating for FC Dallas as the record transfer, or one of the record transfers from an MLS team to a European team going to Augsburg from FC Dallas. Even surpassing that of Alfonso Davies going to Vancouver to Bayern Munich. And Alfonso Davies, as a lot of you I'm sure are aware, is one of the best, most exciting left backs in the world. The face of Canadian soccer. Pepe did not really hit the ground running at Augsburg, ended up getting loaned out to Groningen, and has played very well at Groningen. And now I would expect he goes somewhere else in the in the Eredivisie, which is the Dutch league. I would assume he goes, so I don't see him going back to Augsburg. I'd be fairly surprised that happened. So you look at like PSV or Ajax or Feyenoord or a team like that, I would assume would try to go after Ricardo Pepe. But you also have Josh Sargent, who's been playing, who has played well 
for Norwich this season. A lot of the stuff that he did came off the right wing, but for the United States, playing as a striker. The problem with Sargent over the past couple years, though, which is why I'm happy that he ended up going, that Norwich ended up going down to the championship because he could develop down there a little bit better, is that he couldn't, he had no goal scoring touch. You're a striker that can't score. That's not, that. it's a very hard bargain to drive there to secure your spot for the men's national team. And unlike when Josie Altador wasn't scoring, he didn't have any competition. Sargent has competition, and Sargent doesn't have that reputation that Josie Altador had up till that point. Josie Altador went to the 2010 World Cup at 21 years old. Like, he has, what do you want to call it? I don't want to say tread on the tires, but he has, I don't know what you really want to call it. But when Josh Sargent went from Werder Bremen to Norwich, when Norwich was in the Premier League, on face value, it was like, oh, okay, Josh Sargent going to the Premier League. That's awesome. English-speaking country. Uh, Thomas Frank might have been there still. I can't remember who's an American, you know, former American coach. Former American player, I should say. So you were like, oh, something. Was Thomas Frank there? Did they have someone else? I can't remember. I can't remember when Thomas Frank got fired because Norwich City used to do this thing all the freaking time where they get promoted, relegated, promoted, relegated, promoted, relegated. And Thomas Frank got fired after one of those promotion relegations thing. But I don't remember who's that one or not. But either way, you go to a team whose best player was their striker in Timo Pukki. That was their best player. So you're not going to start. And Norwich does not have a lot of creative players. I think that same summer he came in, Emi Buendia went over to Aston Villa. So you lost your most creative player, your most creative outlet. So it's like, okay, if you're wanting to make it to the national team, going to Norwich City at this current juncture is not the smartest move for you. It's just not. And he did end up scoring two goals in that season in the Premier League, but there were two, like, things that will never happen. Like, two goals that made zero sense, like freaking uh, Kaji, or Haji Wright's goal in the World Cup against the Netherlands. It'll never happen again. Never happen again. I would refuse to believe Josh Sargent will score any goals like that that one year in the Premier League with Norwich. But it going down the championship, he's played very well. Lesser competition, stricter schedule, but lesser competition gets a chance to thrive a little bit more, plays a little bit more. And you've got Daryl DK, who played really well. Uh, he came, who was he originally with in the Premier League? Oh, crap, not Premier League Championship. He's with West Brom now. Who was he with? Red Team, Barnsley. Daryl DK played really well with Barnsley, and then goes to West Brom, struggles a little bit, but then starts to find some form a little bit. Kind of got lost in the, the pegging order under Greg Burhalter, But he's been playing well recently. Been playing well recently. We already know about Haji Wright and what he's done over in Turkey. They're linking him with a move to Crystal Palace. You got Christian Vasquez. Or Brandon Vasquez, sorry. I was thinking of the catcher from the Reds, uh, former catcher for the Red Sox. Brandon Vasquez scoring goals for FC Cincinnati. You've got options for the United States now, which again is something you haven't had in a very long time. And then you add in somebody. We bring up dual nationals. The biggest dual national in the United States men's national history, arguably, given current form and everything, Balogun. Fuller and Balogun coming over from England was expected to make the English national team squad under one of their last world, uh, one of their last international call-ups. Has dominated the French league so far for Rennes, who have been one of the most exciting teams in French football this season, with a manager who is not even technically allowed to be a coach, and they get fined every single time he coaches. But guess what? Ram have been playing... Or no, I'm thinking of another team. Is this a... Yeah, I'm getting my teams confused. I'm getting my teams confused. I apologize. 
Rem is the Rend is the team that uh crap. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold well, I gotta see what this guy's name is. Is this is it Ren or Ren Stod Rem? Is this the team that Oh no! No, I was right. I was right, right? Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think I I think I am right. I think I'm Okay, yeah, yeah, Stod Rems. Okay, Will Still for Rems. There was a stretch where Rems were playing like some of the best soccer in the world. Like on form? Like you look at this stretch that they had. Like from when is this? February 10th all the way down to March <laughs> or not from October 2nd, sorry, all the way to March 12th. Stad Rams lost one game. <laughs> lost one game. And that one game wasn't even in League On. Like they lost one they lost no games in the league. From October 2nd, 2022 to March 12th. <laughs> and then they've been on a stretch of bad form recently where they've in turn won only two games since March 19th. So they've kind of, you know, flipped back a little bit. But this dude, Will Steele, is not legally allowed to be a coach. Again, he gets fined every... They get fined every single time he coaches. But they, they've they been doing well this year. Punching well above their weight for a lot of the season. Right now, they're sitting 11th, which is not where they really want to be after the long stretch that they had where they are performing really well. But for Rems, that's very impressive. And Florian Balligan has been the main cog in that team this year. Aloni from Arsenal... Kind of getting lost in the shuffle for Arsenal. They had Eddie Nketia there, who's a fan favorite there. They've just brought in Gabriel Jesus. So he loans out to Rems. And this season, 19 goals. 19 goals this season, which has him sitting joint fifth in league on this season. Now, there is a CONCACAF striker that ranks above him in the rankings. In the goal-scoring charts, I should say. Jonathan David has 21 goals for Leo this year. Jonathan David's played really well this season. Jonathan David's going to get linked with, or he's not going to be. He's going to have a big move this offseason, one would imagine. Jonathan David's not going to stay at Lille for another season. I'd be very surprised if he did. I'd be very surprised if he did. Now, Lille are sitting fifth in League 1, which is damn impressive after they won League 1 a few years ago. Lost all their players. <laughs> Kept on a, a few like Jonathan David, but lost a lot of their key players. Mike Mannion left. Big loss there. Dominate for AC Milan on form, maybe one of the best goalies in the world at this point in time. Now, they are currently losing to Inter Milan 1-0, and so Inter Milan's going to go back to the Champions League final. But, you know, Mike Mannion has played fantastic. When he's been healthy, when he's been healthy, he's battled a lot of injuries this year. But as far as Balogun goes, this is awesome for the United States. And remember, when England had their last international call, the United States was just, you know, the world international friendly stage, or they might have been the the CONCACAF Nations League at that time, too. But they were down in Orlando. Coincidentally, Florian Balogun is also down in Orlando. Doesn't get a call up to the English national team. Have a few injuries. They put him on the U23 team, I believe. I can't remember what team Gareth Southgate threw him to. They have an injury, and they don't bring him into the squad. So you just piss him off enough. And I there could be conf- there's conflicting things about why he ended up choosing the United States over England. Maybe it is to spite England. Maybe he is to spite England. He's an Arsenal kid. Was born in New York, but spent a lot of his time over in England. So maybe it is a lot to spite England, but says Baum was very excited that he announced his commitment to the United States men's national team. And there's just naturally, this is <laughs> I gotta try to be uh, as political, politically, politically correct here as I can. The United States, though they outclassed England at the World Cup in regards to the individual game they played, 
England is better than the United States in regards to the soccer team. Like, you look at the depth at the striker position alone, there's some very key players there at the striker position. Like, we obviously know about Harry Kane, but then after Harry Kane, you got the likes of Ivan Toney, who's been playing really well. You've got Callum Wilson, who's been playing really well. You've got Tammy Abraham over in England, or over in Italy. Like, you've got options there. And then you can even put Marcus Rashford up at striker if you really wanted to. Like, the uh, and Eddie Aketia, who we brought up just a little bit ago. There's probably others that I'm completely forgetting about, but when you look at that, you're competing against those guys who, though 19 goals in league is very impressive, especially for Stad Rams, these guys are scoring 17, 15, 17 goals in the Premier League. Harry Kane's got 26 goals alone, I believe. The last time I checked, he had 17 goals. Or 27 goals, sorry. Yeah, 27 goals. And Ivan Tony's got 20 goals this year. Callum Wilson's got 17. Ollie Watkins didn't even bring him up. He has 14 goals this year. Like, it's just so much harder. As much as I would love to say the United States is a better quality team than England, I, that's just not true. It's not true. Even though, again, the United States should have beaten England, realistically, at the 2022 World Cup. But it's so much harder to get into that squad from a striker position than it is for the United States. That's just a fact. Like, Pepe's been solid this year. Pepe currently is probably the best striker the United States had, or before Balogun committed. Ricardo Pepe was the best striker they had. But he didn't make the World Cup squad. And then you got Josh Sargent. He's up there as well, playing in the championship. Jesus Ferreira is still getting a sniff around the United States team, but he was playing as a number 10 the last game the United States played. But this is a massive, massive get. Huge get. And they have all the, you know, the things pop around today. You got all the promotional videos. You got Balogun in the United States jersey for the first time, officially in the jersey. And he's played the United States men's national team before. And not, not for the inter, not as senior level, but he has represented him in the past. He did play for the U18 squad. And this, I'm sure... I'm sure of it. Yunus Musa was a massive part in getting Florian Balogun over to the United States men's national team as they played together at Arsenal. And Yunus Musa is about to reach 100 league appearances for Valencia this year. I think he's at like 97, 92 or 97 or something. Hold on. Let me see how many appearances Yunus Musa has right now for Valencia in the league. Yeah, 92. 92. Throughout his career, Valencia has got 106 appearances. Dude's played 31 games for Valencia this season in the league, in the league alone. 32-29-31. Jonas Moose is going to get himself a nice little move. He's got to get himself a nice little move. Maybe move back to Arsenal. I just saw today Granit Xhaka is going to leave. Maybe he goes to Arsenal. Would I like that as a United fan? No, not really. But I think Jonas Moose could play in the Premier League. I don't think there's any doubt in that. He's already did against England again. <laughs> now, two other midfielders for the United States that played one over the Premier League. Tyler Adams was playing really well before the season started. got hurt. Wes McKinney, obviously, out loan at Leeds United this year. Has not covered himself in glory. Same thing goes for Brendan Aronson. But Balogun, does he come back to the Premier League? I've heard reports that they could Arsenal could potentially swap him for Declan Rice to so see Balogun go to West Ham, who are in need of a striker. Obviously, they got Skimaka, they got Mikel Antonio there. But Balogun, given his age, given his pedigree, what he's doing over in France right now, it'd be hard to believe that he would not be the main number nine for West Ham if he were to go there next season. Crystal Palace could be an option there as well. They don't really have a lot of striking options there. They're good on the wings. They're solid in midfield. Striking options, their big issue right now. Hudson Edward is not is not it. It's not it. But man, Balogun. Florian ba- For- Florian Balogun coming over to the United States. This seemed like a pipe dream. When he was down in Orlando, like he was doing all the press. Like you see the the Yankees were down there for spring training. They gave him a Balogun jersey. You have the Magic giving him a Balogun jersey. 
like there was so much recruiting going down. They were like, yeah, we've talked to him. We've talked to Balogun a little bit. We've talked to him. We've talked to him. But this get, does this push Anthony Hudson to the number one spot for the United States next coaching job? Because Anthony Hudson's the, the current interim manager right now. Is he going to be the next option for the United States? And I know he got a lot of people on his side for that first camp that he had. There was no MLS players. And if there was one, it might have been Miles Robinson, and that would have been it. So one MLS player in his camp. Because one of the big things for a lot of fans out there, during the 2022 World Cup, the United States had a lot of MLS players. And the quality of the MLS players, no offense, you're not playing against the same level as someone like Ricardo Pepe is over in over in uh, the Netherlands. Big argument between Jose uh, Jesus Ferreira and Ricardo Pepe, because apparently that was the battle. Because I had Pepe and Ferreira in my squad because I thought Ferreira was destined to go because of good links to Greg Berhalter. But Pepe had to go, given that he was one of, like, what we thought was Greg's guy, one of Greg's guys, and it just didn't work out like that, I guess. But, man, legit spots for the striker position. There is a legit battle for the striker position now, which, again, is something the United States haven't really had a lot of across the years. You look at the United States depth chart right now in regards to the striker position, we kind of already talked about it, but Balligan, Pepe, Sargent, Haji Wright, DK, Ferreira, like you've got options. Brandon Vasquez scored a goal for the United States already in three caps. Friends with Christian Pulisic, which is always very big. But you look at this squad now. You look at the potential starting lineup. Given Weston McKinney's struggles this season at Leeds United, you could realistically make a starting 11 without Weston McKinney in it, which is weird to think about, which is insanely weird to think about. But this allows you to play the likes of Pulisic or Giovanni Reina in the number 10 role. Because, as we've seen already, Anthony Hudson has played Pulisic as a number 10 earlier this season. With Zendejas coming over as well. Another dual national flipped over, which is a massive get there. But you got Matt Turner and Nett. This is the current thing. This is the current team. This is a squad that transfer market marked posted today. You got Matt Turner, Destin Robinson at right and left back, center back partnership with Miles Robinson and Tim Ream, Tyler Adams and Yunus Musa has two holding sixes. You got Giovanni Rain in the 10, Weya and Pulisic on right and left, and then Florian Balligan in the middle. That is a very good starting lineup right there. And if you're looking for the squad going to the 2026 World Cup, which again is the World Cup the United States is hosting, so no stress throughout the poly- the qualifying again. Like a lot of that, this is what's so exciting about the United States. I see a lot of people on social media, especially from abroad, they're talking about this. There's no way this is a golden generation. They're so young. And a lot of the players, like Dest, haven't really performed well at AC Milan. Didn't really perform well at Barcelona. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes. Pulisic has struggled with injuries at Chelsea. Weston McKinney hasn't played that well over at uh, Leeds United, as we've already said. Way has been playing right back for Leo. <laughs> but Tim Ream's been awesome. But the odds of Tim Ream still being in the squad for the United States at the 2026 World Cup, I would say is very slim. And it's sad because he is currently, you could say probably ever, like, in current form, Tim Ream is the best center back on form the United States has ever had. Like, how he's playing with Fulham, I don't know if there's been a center back for the United States that's played at that level. I love Carlos Bocanegra. I think Agochiani Ewu had the chances to be playing at an extremely high level, playing for AC Milan. But Tim Ream has been playing awesome. Broke his arm uh, two weeks ago or something. But it's going to be hard to see that he's going to be in that squad. He'll be 37, 36, 38, 37 years old by the time the 2026 World Cup comes around. 
And maybe, maybe he'll be in the squad as like a, a mentor or something, but he's not going to be a main starter. Like you're looking at like some Miles Robinson. Miles Robinson, we've said this before. Miles Robinson is the best center back the United States has. Before he got hurt, before he tore his Achilles with Atlanta United, Miles Robinson was the best center back they had. And it looked like we were destined for a while now, because Greg Berhalter kept putting this uh, starting lineup out there, of a center back partnership between Robinson and Zimmerman. But then obviously we know Tim Reams' form started catching up, and then Robinson tears his Achilles, and then you're talking about a whole different thing of Zimmerman and Tim Ream. But if you're looking at that 2026 squad, you're looking at, you know, goalies. Matt Turner's going to be the number one again. Matt Turner plays, there's really no argument against Matt Turner at this point in time. He's only 28 years old. Played really well. Never really put a foot wrong for the United States since becoming the United States number one. Is Zach Steffen going to be involved? I don't know. Because Ethan Horvath is, uh, has a chance to be promoted with Luton Town. Which is something that no one thought could really be a realistic option going into the season. No one thought. They just beat Sunderland today. They beat them 2-0. So there's a chance that Luton Town will be playing in the Premier League next season. And Ethan Horvath was at Nottingham Forest. Gets loaned out to Luton Town. Maybe just stays at Luton. Because on current form, he's playing better than Zach Steffen is. And then the other option there, apart from Zach Steffen, Gabriel Solina, Gaga, playing for Chelsea. Could be the future number one for Chelsea. One of the most, another dual national, Polish dual national. So would you see him going to the World Cup in 2026? I would imagine so. He's only 19 right now. So on current form, like Zach Steffen, does he get, does he miss another World Cup? So you got your goalies going to 2026 or Matt Turner, Horvath, and Slonina. That is crazy. If you'd said that three years ago, I would have called you crazy. That would have been a thing. Zach Steffen looked relatively unchallenged as the number one goalie for the United States men's national team. And now we're sitting here going like, yeah, he might not make another World Cup. Which him missing this one was shocking, but he might not make the next one. And look at the defensive areas. You got Dest and Joe Scaly. I would consider those two locks at this point in time. Anthony Robinson's going to be a lock as well. Bar Again, all those guys are locks barring injury, knock on wood. Or they just completely fall off the face of the earth. But Dest is so much better technically than every other right back the United States has. Maybe Joe Scaly catches up to him by the time 2026 rolls around. We see Scaly starting at right back. But right now, Dest and Robinson will probably be the starters there. You're looking at Ant- Miles Robinson. We'll see him get a move probably at some point in the near future over across the, pro- over across the pond. Walker Zimmerman, is he going to still be involved? Would he still be involved? He'll be like 33 years old next time, 32. Will he be in the team? I don't know, but you're looking at the likes of Chris Richards, barring injury again. He would be in the squad. You'd imagine Carmer, Car, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers would be in the squad. Austin Trusty, playing for Birmingham City right now, being involved in there in some capacity. Mark McKenzie? I don't know. Austin Trusty got called up in Anthony Hudson's last squad, or one of his last squads. So maybe we see him up there. But I would say, like, Vickers, Richards, and Miles Robinson are all locks going into the 2020. At least, again, this is at this point in time. Things can change. Things can absolutely change. Balogun was not seen to be on this team four years ago, and now he's here. So things can change across four years. And then you've got the midfield areas. Tyler Adams is a lock. He's the captain. He's the, he's going to be a lock. Moose is a lock. McKinney is a lock, even though he's not playing well at this point. Malik Tillman, I would expect him to make the next squad. It was a shame that he didn't make this World Cup squad. Luca De La Torre started to get more consistent playing time at Celta Vigo. So I would expect him to still be in this squad. You look at the attacking midfield areas. You've got the likes of Giovanni Reina being in that squad still. 
You got Zendejas, who we've talked about before, playing for Club America. Can play on the wing, can play in the midfield. Taylor Booth, I just saw something today linking in with Manchester United. And you got on the wings, obviously. I mean, Booth and Zendejas can play on the wings as well. You got Tim Weah, you got Christian Pulisic, you got Brendan Aronson, and then strikers, you got Balogun, Sargent, DK. Like, you've got options. Pepe. Like, the, what's fun about this United States squad that's different from, like, the Belgian squad that went from 2018 to 2022, it's a similar squad to what you had this time around. The difference is they're so much younger. They're so much younger. And they should have beaten England. They should have really, they pl- should have played a lot better against the Netherlands. The problem with the United States at that last World Cup was that they sat back more often than they looked to attack. They look against Iran. Sat back. Scored a goal. Brought it back five. Brought in another midfielder. You're playing a 5-4-1. Why? You're playing Iran. No offense to Iran, but the United States really should not have not had any issues in that game. They shouldn't have drew with Wales. They should have beaten the crap out of Wales. They should have beaten England. But they sat on the back foot. Invited pressure, but they're too young. They're not used to that. And they cracked. If they get a manager, if Anthony, Hutchinson, if Anthony Hudson's that guy... I mean, he was able to get Balogun over. But if Andy Hudson's that guy moving forward, they're already playing a lot more attacking, a lot more advancing than what they were before. So is that what we're looking at? I just want to see an attacking team. The team's strength is in the attack, especially now. We've already brought up that front four that we could that could possibly be a thing going forward of Reyna at the 10, Pulisic and Way on the wings, then Balogun in the middle? Zendaya's on the wing? Like, your strength is in the front. Brendan Aronson? Your strength's not in defense. Your left back and right back are not defensive-minded. They're attack-minded. So you're going to have to build this team from the front. If this team was built like it should have been, the United States would have beaten England. The United States would have beaten Wales. They would have had zero problems against Iran. So that's what's exciting going to this World Cup. Because it's the same team. It will be somewhat similar, I should say. I shouldn't say it's going to be the exact same team. Hopefully not. Because there's there's improvements that could have been made on the last squad versus the one that could be could be. Just play attacking. This team could cause some problems, especially at home. I'm not saying they're going to go out and win the damn thing, but they could cause some problems. They could cause some problems. They caused problems this World Cup. People are saying England beat them for nothing. It's like, have you watched England? Have you watched how Garrett Southgate plays? <laughs> they are not going to beat the United States four one. This isn't freaking Tunisia or something. But I'm excited. I'm more excited now. With the thought that this was even going to happen, I was excited. Now it's confirmed. Again, a month away from the United States versus Mexico. In the Gold Cup as well. Oh, they could really build some momentum here. Because right now, CONCACAF should belong to the United States. Canada's got their little thing going up there as well. We already talked about Jonathan David. Mexico, they're in the mud. They're in the mud. But they've got you know some decent players. They've got some decent players. But... Who knows? Who knows at this point in time? But I'm I'm excited. I'm super excited. Like, like for Mexico, like the the big three in Concacaf, which is not normally the big three, but the current big three of Canada, United States, and Mexico, they all have big time strikers now. Which Mexico hasn't had in a couple of years since Raúl Jiménez got hurt, had his head injury. He hasn't been really the same since his head injury. Canada, Jonathan David. Got the best striker they've had in a long time. He's got, I think, 20 goals already for Canada. And then the United States got Balogun. Mexico right now, Santiago Jimenez, 
or Jimenez, however you want to say his name, I'm not 100 percent sure. They've got they've got options. Striking options. This could be exciting. This Gold Cup could be very, very exciting because there's no World Cup around the corner. There's no sense to rest anybody. You go full board, try to win this thing. United States won the last one with the squad that they just made trying to fill out the World Cup squad. It didn't look convincing in a lot of those games that they played, especially in the knockout stage. They still managed to win the tournament. If they play a full squad, full strength United States men's national team squad going into this Gold Cup, there's no reason they shouldn't dominate the tournament. No reason they shouldn't dominate the tournament. If they play expansive and attacking, there is no way they shouldn't batter everybody in the Gold Cup. I'm excited. I'm excited. The excite the getting Balligan is freaking huge. That is massive. 19 goals scored in League on the top five league in the world. Scoring for fun. Was at one point a higher goal scorer, which is, again, this is something that I didn't think I'd say going into the season. The United States had a goal scorer at a point in time that was a higher goal scorer than Kylian Mbappe. You've got a goal scorer right now who's got more goals in the league than Lionel Messi. Something I never thought I'd say in the history of my life, ever. That, hey, you know the United States got a striker that has scored more goals than Messi? And even more so, saying that Canada has a striker that scored more goals than Messi? That is ridiculous. That's the top five goal scorers in a top five league in the world. And the United States actually got a striker now. Maybe they go with the front two. Maybe they could go with the front two. Who the hell knows? But it's exciting. It's exciting. But there's going to be debate. There's already debates all over Twitter who's got the best striker out of the CONCACAF between Jimenez, between David, between Balogun. Right now, you would have to say it's Jonathan David. Just given on what he's done, he's been the most consistent out of all of them. Like, Jimenez has played, has had the better season out of everybody in this list. Like, this season for Feyenoord, he has 15, or 23 goals in all competitions this year. 15 goals in the league. You probably rank him last. Probably rank him last. But you probably say David one, Balogun two, and then Jimenez three. That's how I'd probably rank it. But with that being said, with the United States getting a striker, I thought it'd be fun to do a little sporkle quiz. I always like doing sporkle quizzes, especially when you have nothing to talk about, <laughs> which we have we have stuff. I mean, we've, we've talked about a half hour about this, so we, we've got things to talk about, but I thought this would be fun. Is the United States leading goal scorers by year, 1990 to 2022? I think more years will be more obvious than others. Like, World Cup years will be a little bit easier, but once we get back to 1990, we're going to struggle a little bit. There is a 0% chance we get 33 out of 33. I'm already saying that now. My goal in this is to get 20. If I can get 20, I'll be comper- I'll be perfectly content if I can get 20. All right, so 10 minutes to do this. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so last year, who was the leading goal scorer last year? Who was the strike? Oh, is it Pulisic? Has Pulisic been the leading scorer for the United? Yeah, it was Pulisic last year and in 2017, which makes sense because Pulisic, when they lost to Trinidad Tobago, looked like he was the only one that gave a shit that they lost. Uh, Giassi Zardes has to be one of these. I spelled his name wrong. There's Jayassi Zardes. 2021. Who would have been 2021? Pepe scored a lot of goals. No, he didn't. Wait, what am I talking? There was a stretch where Pepe had a lot. There, I forgot there was an insane stretch where he scored, like, no goals from October till May and then went freaking buck wild this past season, like the start of last season. But who would have else been up there? Ferreira? Jesus Ferreira? Daryl DK? No, no way. <laughs> who else would have been up there? Tim Way, there's no way Tim Way is up there. 
Wow, I am struggling. Good lord. Why can't I think of anybody? I spelled Ferreira right, okay? Who was in the Gold Cup squad for 2021? Who was in that Gold Cup squad? Or 2020, sorry. No, that would have been 2021. Who was in that squad? Hoppy? Scored four goals? No? Wow! I Okay, we're going to have to just like fill out Altidore, Dempsey, <laughs> Donovan. Okay, so now it looks a little bit better. It looks a little better now. 2018, Bobby Wood? Bobby Wood went a little crazy for a little bit. Yeah, 2018 was Bobby Wood. I'm at 18 right now. You know, Dempsey, Donovan, Altidore kind of fills out a little bit. Eddie Johnson's in there as well. Who else would have been in that squad? 2021. For Sergeant? I doubt it. Yeah, not Sergeant. Haji Wright. No way. No way, Haji Wright. I think he scored one goal. It was a penalty. Who else would have been there? We already guessed Pepe. Is there like a midfielder I'm completely forgetting about? Not Moose has never scored. It's definitely not Aaron's. It is Aaron's. Aaron's has scored four goals. Wow. I Wea did really well in World Cup qualifying. I would have. I was actually expecting him to be in on this. 2020 he scored two goals in 2020. Who's someone that we would have completely forgot about in 2020? Let's go back a little bit. Let's. There's no Claudio Reyna in here. I'm kind of surprised about that. Taylor Twellman. Got to make sure I spell his name right. Twellman. Taylor Twellman. Would he have? I don't even know if he would have been on here, but I've got to just come up with options. Twellman. No. Uh, Brian McBride definitely on here. No way he's not. Wait, what? I searched McBride and Precky and Joe Max Moore popped up. What? Okay, so Brian McBride's not on here. Why did Precky pop up? Two-time MVP with Sporting Kansas City, but why did he pop up here? Okay, um, now I'm just completely thrown off. I mean, I got 21, but even then I'm struggling here. Who would have been other strikers here? <laughs> Peter Vermees. Would he have been up there? Uh, Demarcus Beasley. No way. No way. But I just had to throw out guesses here. I don't know anybody else. I can't really think of anybody else on here. We got, like, I don't know, Ernie Stewart. There we go. We got Ernie. We got the boy Ernie Stewart. Uh, sticking with the United's current United States. Well, beef guy. Eric Wynalda has to be on. Oh, we got Eric Wynalda on here three, four times. Scored nine goals in 96. Yeah, we got... He was the beef starter with the... <laughs> uh, what do you call it? With the Giovanni Reyna and uh, Greg Berhalter thing. Who else would have... I, I can't really think of anybody else at this point in time. Precky, though. Why did Precky pop up? I, I don't... I searched Brian McBride. There's no reason Precky was... I don't even know how Eddie Johnson popped up. Because I didn't search Johnson. Who else would have been a striker in 2020 that I'm completely forgetting about? That Who would have scored goals in 2020? Kellen Acosta? Because I'm trying to... I'm just going off random people now. Kellen Acosta. Serginio Dest scored a couple of goals. Who else would have been up there in 2020? Vargas Zardes... Um, I already guessed Hoppy. 
I don't even know. I, I don't know which air, which route to go. That's the problem. I don't know where to go. I don't remember who scored a bunch of goals. I guess we have guess like Jordan Morris. No. Uh, who else? Who's a striker the United States have had? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up. I'm not going to sit here and just keep pounding my face. Okay, Joe Max Moore popped up once before. Why didn't he pop up again? That's a BS. We got Kobe Jones. I didn't never assume Kobe Jones is a goal scorer. Never got never thought Kobe Jones was the year in goal scoring. He had 15 goals and 100 and what? 164 caps. Yeah, we're not Sebastian Legette wasn't even on my radar. Wasn't even on my radar. Clinton Mathis, Joe Max Moore popped up, you know, when we searched Brian McBride, why did he not pop up? We <laughs> So was that, that must have been joint goal scorer or something. Bruce Murray. Yeah, yeah, there's some on here. Like I should Kobe Jones, that would have been an obvious not an obvious one, but a guy that just played forever. So that would I guess that could have been obvious, but that one I was not going to sit here and just keep banging my head against the table. But 26 out of 33, we'll take it. We'll take it, we'll take it, we'll take it, we'll take it. But, uh, yeah, what else do we got on here? What else do we got on the docket today? Because I, I, we're going to move on from soccer here. We're going to move on from soccer, but again, but again, that being said, we do have some United States-Mexico action coming up in a little bit. We got United States-Mexico on June, or June 15th. June 15th. I thought it was on the 16th. I thought I saw 16th today. And then they got a Nations League. It's a Nations League, too, so it actually matters. And you got the Gold Cup kicking off on June 24th. You got the Women's World Cup this summer as well. So there's a lot of things to watch out for for the United States. The United States really could come out on top in the Gold Cup and the Women's World Cup this year. They should be the heavy favorites in both. It'll be interesting to see if Anthony Hudson leads them into the Gold Cup, because that's not until June 24th again. So, got time. Got time, but it doesn't really look like there's any movement on the United States managerial front at this point in time. Jamie Carragher on CBS Sports today for the AC, before the AC Milan and Inter Milan game was campaigning for Thierry Henry to be the United States manager going forward. We'll see if that one actually is, if it happens. I mean, Thierry Henry has talked about it before in the past, so we'll see if that happens. Maybe Patrick Vieira is an option. I don't know. You're obviously going to throw money at Zinedine Zidane. you got Jose Mourinho. you got options. They just throw a shit ton of money. Zidane and Mourinho are not realistic. I'm just going to put that out there. So you don't think, oh, Logan's actually being serious by saying Jose Mourinho and Zidane Zidane become the managers of the United States. I do not think those two are realistic options. But it'd be fun. It'd be really fun to see that. Obviously, Jesse Marsh is going to be a name that gets thrown out a lot, being the most well-known manager, United States manager, like playing, coaching over with the Red Bull teams, coaching with Leeds United, getting linked with the Southampton job. Obviously, getting fired from Leipzig and getting fired from Leeds is not the greatest thing in the world, but he's going to be a name that's going to enter in a lot of conversations. A lot of conversations. But what I've seen from Anthony Hudson, what a lot of people have seen from Anthony Hudson, he's done all right. He's done all right to deserve a, a further look at. Maybe they want to keep him in for a tournament if he sucks ass at the tournament and the United States gets bounced in the group league in a group with Jamaica, Nicaragua, and then an unknown team at this point in time. Maybe that'd be worth it. Maybe that'd be worth it. But uh, at this point in time, yeah, Anthony Hudson deserves to to lead them into the world. The not the World Cup deserves to at least give him a chance to go into the Gold Cup. But it's so hard to judge the Gold Cup with these things because the Gold Cup, you're such heavy favorites every year. Like, do you remember when we talked about the Gold Cup in 2021? And you look at all the different teams that have made the finals, and it's not like the United States or Mexico have been in every final apart. Or no, they've won every tournament apart from one, and Canada won it. It's the only time. I think there's been, how many Gold Cups have there been? There's been like 16 or 17 Gold Cups. And there's been like eight or nine between the United States and Mexico. 
So, like, eight or nine championships between them. Not, but not like they played each other at eight or nine. They might have. But the United States has eight or nine. Mexico has, like, eight or nine. How many is they, do they have it on here? Best results, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven, yeah. Okay, they've won seven gold cups. They've appeared in 17. Where's the con- con- uh, gold cup? I want to see the history of it. Eight titles. So Mexico has eight. United States has seven. So we were one off on either way. And then Canada is the only other team that has a tr- has a gold cup championship in there. It's sad. It's <laughs> I want to know when did Canada win their gold cup? I would have to imagine it was between De, De Rosario, right? Canada won theirs in champions. Hold on, in two thousand, the two thousand gold cup. I would have Dwayne De Rosario had to be there, right? No, this is too early for Dwayne De Rosario. I always love when the, when the Gold Cubs add, add a random-ass team in here. Like, South Korea's in this one. South Korea's in here. Now, that was uh, leading up to the 20, 2002 World Cup where it was hosted by South Korea and Jamaica. And J- Jamaica. South Korea and Japan. So, they, they did the same thing with Qatar this year. But Qatar looked pretty good, and the Gold Cup sucked major cock in the, <laughs> in the World Cup. One of the world's World Cup teams of all time. But Group D with Canada, Costa Rica, South Korea, they only drew. <laughs> they only drew. Nobody won in that group. Nobody lost in that group. Settled on goal difference. And I don't know how Canada ended up going on the group. They had the same number of goals, same number of goals allowed, same number of goals forced. Each team had a zero goal difference. But Costa Rica scored four. They allowed four, though. So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how they managed that. Because remember the, the fair play rule in the 2018 World Cup? That was awesome. I wonder if they did that here, if they did the gold and gold thing. I don't know how they worked things back then. But while we're on the topic of, you know, young building teams, teams with very young, exciting players, we got to look at college football here for a little bit. Because ESPN posted an article today, prolific passers, intriguing transfers, second acts, ranking all 133 FCS quarterback situations into tiers. Tier 1A, guys, the guys that will be dissecting with every single throw between now and next April. That is Caleb Williams and Drake May. Tier 1B, the most prolific quarterbacks in college football not named Williams or May. Jordan Travis, Bo Nix, Cam Rising, Michael Penix. The old guys, the old farts in there. Tier 2, you may not have noticed, but these guys are really good. You got KJ Jefferson, Dalen Daniels from Kansas, JJ McCarthy, and then Frank Harris from UTSA. Frank Harris is a baller. One of the first guys I ever see wear number zero in college football. I don't know why I was watching UTSA football game, but he's one of the first ones I saw wear zero. Fun quarterback, fun quarterback. Tier three, never question the system. 12 players, six jobs. You got Alabama, Tyler Butchner, Jalen Milrow, and Ty Simpson. You got Clemson with Cade Klubnik, who's replacing DJ Uiagalele. Georgia's Carson Beck. Ohio State, Kyle McCord. Penn State, Drew Alar. And then Tennessee, Joe Milton. Now, they do have that very highly rated recruit coming in this year, but Joe Milton, given his size, arm talent, athleticism, I would imagine that he's going to be the number one quarterback for Tennessee going into the season. I'd be pretty surprised. Tier 4A, consistency, very good seven players. We got Grace McCall. We got Riley Leonard from Duke. Will Howard from Kansas State. Jaden Daniels from LSU. Not Jalen, different from Jalen Daniels. Sam Hartman at Notre Dame. Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma. And then Michael Pratt from Tulane. Then 4B, we got Jalen Delura from Arizona, Jackson Dart at Ole Miss, Tulia Tegaviola at Maryland, uh, Will Rogers at Mississippi State, Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, and Austin Reed at Western Kentucky. 
You can always bet on Western Kentucky guys going out this year, every year, because they're going to put up monster numbers. Every year, going to put up monster numbers. Uh, tier 5A, high ceiling, low floor, 16 players, including nine jobs. Colorado, Shadur Sanders. Florida, Graham Mertz, Texas A&M, Connor Wegman, or Max Johnson. TCU, Chandler Morris, or Chance Nolan. Chandler Morris, for those of you who don't remember, was the starter at TCU last year. Then got hurt, and Max Duggan came in and came <laughs> was one of the Heisman finalists. Crazy how things happen. Texas, Quinn Ewers, UCLA, Dante Moore, Colin Schley, and Ethan Garber is going to be hard to replace DTR. He was there for five years. It's going to be hard to replace him. Wake Forest, Mitch Griffiths. Again, going to be hard to replace Sam, uh, Sam Hartman. Washington State, Cameron Ward. And Wisconsin, Tanner Mordecai. Again, I keep forgetting that dude's there. Put up really good numbers while at SMU. And then do we have any other tiers that we got on here? Low ceiling, high floor. Drew Pine from Arizona State. Cade McNamara at Iowa. Let's go. <laughs> DJ UA Agalele from Oregon State. Garrett Schrader from Syracuse. Tyler Show from Texas Tech. And John Reese Plumley at UCF. We got second act ACC struggles. Five players. Uh, Devin Leary from Kentucky. I wouldn't really call him a second act. He didn't really need a second. He put up good numbers while at NC State. Tyler Van Dyke needs a second act. Jeff Sims needs a second act because he was at a terrible situation at Georgia Tech. Brennan Armstrong, he just needed a new change of scenery. He just needed a new change. It was like if Brennan Armstrong didn't ball out for Virginia, they were going to be bad. They were going to be bad. Then Pitt, Phil Yurkovic, yeah. We already talked about Phil Yurkovic last show. Athletically, arm talent, size, he's got all the things you're looking for. Just played with Boston College. Never really took that jump that teams were expecting him to do from his first year at Boston College after transferring from Notre Dame. Then you got 7A fresh start offers cause for optimism. Auburn, you got Peyton Thorne, Michigan State guy. And then you got Georgia Tech, Haynes King, Auburn, or uh, um, Texas A&M guy. Then you've got Houston, Donovan Smith. You got Louisville, Jack Plummer, Purdue guy. And Cal, I think he was at Cal. Illinois, Luke Altmeyer. And then you got Purdue, Hudson Card. Where was Luke Altmeyer at before? I can't remember. Ole Miss, Ole Miss, yes. But I'm intrigued to see how Hudson Card does. I'm very intrigued to see how Hudson Card does. He He's one that could be have a, have a very good season, given Purdue's all. And they did get a new coach this year. Braun went back to Louisville. So we'll see how that does this year for him. But Hudson Card, I'm intrigued to see how he does. Because he wasn't bad at Texas. He just got beat out by a guy that was the highest rated recruit ever from the state of Texas. So just sucks. Tier 8, top of go, top of group 5, even if that if that term makes Mike Oredsko roll his eyes. Boise State, Taylor Green. We got Georgia State's Darren Gra- Granger. Sorry, Granger. Ohio's Curtis Roke. Seth Memphis, Seth Hennigan. Louisiana Tech, Hank Bachmeyer. Transfer from Boise State. Mexico State, Diego pa- Pavia. San Diego State, Jalen Maiden. I'm always intrigued to see how those quarterbacks do at San Diego State. So they're so run heavy. Like the quarterback situation at San Diego State's never been a fun one. San Jose State, we got Chevon Cordiero. Uh, South Alabama, Carter Bradley, SMU, Preston Stone, and Alex Padilla. Let's go, Iowa legend. And then Toledo, Daquan Finn. But I'm intrigued to see how Alex Padilla does. They had a very good system down there with Tanner Mordecai. Alex Padilla, similar build to Tanner Mordecai, so we'll see how that goes for him. Which is nothing but the best. Uh, Tier 9, a year of experience offers cost for hope. Nine players, five jobs. Baylor, Blake Schappen, or Sawyer Robertson, Iowa State, Hunter Deckers. Missouri, Brady Cook. Tulsa, Braylon Braxton, and Virginia Tech, Grant Wells. Grant Wells, sorry. Then we got Tier 10, third or fourth. Time is the charm. BYU, Keaton Slovis, third time's the charm. Transferred USC from USC to Pitt, now to BYU. Cincinnati, Emory Jones, third time. Transferred from Florida to Arizona State to Cincinnati. This could be a good one. 
This could be a good one. It'll be interesting to see how they do without Luke Fickle there. That's a big loss. Went up to Wisconsin. So we'll see how that goes for him. But Henry Jones has got the talent. Just a matter of if he can even put it all together. FAU Casey Thompson, third time. Just transferred the other day, actually. Transferred from Texas to Nebraska. Lost his job to Jeff Sims, presumably. And then transferred to FAU. Oklahoma State, Alan Bowman. Forgot about Alan Bowman. Completely forgot about this dude. So this dude, you know, this is third time the charm as well. Went from Texas Tech. Put up good numbers at Texas Tech. Decent numbers at Texas Tech. Transferred up to Michigan after Shea Patterson left. And you're like, oh, well, Alan Bowman's going to be the starter, right? Put up good numbers while at Texas Tech. Should be the guy going to Michigan. And then he becomes third string, maybe even fourth string quarterback at Michigan. Caden McNamara beats him out. And then J.J. McCarthy beats him out for the backup job. And then he was just sitting there at third. He sat there for two years. So I give him credit for sitting down there for two years. But, yeah, Oklahoma State, that should be a nice resurgence for him. And then Rice, J.T. Daniels, this is fourth. This is the fourth and last time. I've never been high on J.T. Daniels. Never been high on J.T. Daniels. If you listen to the show and J.T. Daniels kind of first made headlines when he came into USC, was the first freshman to start and God knows how long true freshman to start for USC. Never really been a part of it. Never been a big fan. I, I saw someone say this a few years ago. It was like two or three years ago. J.T. Daniels is a meat statue. The dude doesn't move. Like, it, 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 insultingly immobile. <laughs> Gatorade High School Player of the Year, a lot of hype goes to USC. Then Keaton Slovis comes in. After JT Daniels, I think, turns ACL, puts up great numbers. And then AJ Epineza rips him a new one in the in the Holiday Bowl. And then Keen Slovis comes the next season, doesn't play as well because he got the shoulder issues. And JT Daniels, that offseason, his dad's like, well, hey, JT Daniels got a, US, a USC tattoo on his leg. He ain't leaving. About two weeks later, he transfers to Georgia. And then he goes to Georgia, never really gets his feet set underneath them at there, has some problems when he first gets there. Because they also got a transfer from Wake Forest, who I'm completely forgetting about. I don't remember his name. What the hell was the dude's name? Transfer to Georgia. Number 12, Newman. Newman. Uh, Something Newman. I can't remember what his name was. Never played there. But JT Daniels comes in. Doesn't start right away. Eventually gets through about halfway in the season. Plays decently. Plays decently. I mean, it's Georgia. So you're going to play decently there. It's kind of hard to suck major ass when you're at Georgia just because of all the skill players around you. And then lose the job to Stetson Bennett. Gets in arguments with coaches. Dad, parents don't like coach. Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart don't like parents. Questions about JT Daniels' uh, recovery from his injury or what kind of options he's going to do with regards to recover. It just didn't work out for him. Didn't work out for him there at Georgia. So he transferred up to West Virginia. Doesn't really do a whole lot up there at West Virginia. Then decides this offseason to go down to Rice. So you go from USC to Georgia to West Virginia to Rice. And then you got Keen Slowis transferring to BYU. The guy who replaced JT Daniels at USC, who then transferred to Pitt, who transferred now to BYU, now both dudes are just playing with blue and white schools. I'm very intrigued to see how those two do. Keaton Slovis is more talented than JT Daniels. I really like Keaton Slovis. If you listen to the show, I like Keaton Slovis quite a bit. He just battled some injuries, never really got over that injury that he had at USC. Emory Jones, I like him too. I like him too. Extremely talented quarterback, but just never really could put it all together. We talk about that game against USF when we talk about Anthony Richardson. That was the game he kind of burst onto the scene for a little bit. If he didn't get hurt, Emory Jones, I don't know where he would have gone after that. But we knew going into this season that he was going to lose the job. It was kind of written on the wall. It was kind of a similar situation to Kate McNamara and J.J. McCarthy. It was like, uh, we already kind of knew this. So this makes it a little interesting. Then we got Tier 11 incomplete grades. Emmett Moorhead at Boston College, Sam Jackson at Cal, Noah Kim at Michigan State, and Ethan Kaliamkis, I can't remember if I say his name right, at Minnesota, was there last year. 
Kalia Manis, Kaliak Manis, Kal yeah, Ethan Kaliak Manis, sorry. Then we've got Tier 12, the rest of the Power 5 QB, 17 players, 7 jobs. We got Indiana, Brendan Soresby or Tavian, Taven Jackson. Northwest, we got Brent Bryan, <laughs> Brent Sullivan, Ryan Helinski, and Josh, <laughs> Jack Lausch. Sorry. It's Northwest, I can't help but laugh. Then we got Rutgers, Gavin Wimsett, and Evan Simon. We got Stanford, Ari Padu, Ashton Daniels, and Miles Jackson. I wish, given that, you know, Tanner McKee fell all the way to the sixth round, I wish he would have either stayed or transferred. I wish he would either stayed or transferred. Because his film last year was not great. You could see the talent, but the, the film just did not translate in regards to a lot of drops, archaic system, a lot of really long reads with a bat off the line doesn't really equal great success in regards to that. And then you have a bunch of injuries at running back. There was links to him transferring to Notre Dame, but when Sam Hartman transferred to Notre Dame, kind of put a big wrench in that one. And then you got Vanderbilt, A.J. Swan, Ken Seals, Virginia. You got Tony Musket and Jay Wolfolk. Wolfolk, sorry. In West Virginia, we got Garrett Green and Nico Markiel. Sorry, I can't, I, I'm struggling with some names right now. Some of these guys I've never heard of, so I, I apologize. Tier 13, so you're saying there's a chance. We got JT, J, DJ Irons. We got Cole Snyder at Buffalo. Gotta love Buffalo. Clay Millen at Colorado State. We got Mason Garcia at East Carolina. James Madison. We got Jordan McLeod and Alonzo Barrett the third. I always, I sometimes forget James Madison is at FBS school now. Watch them in the national championship game against North uh, North Coast State a few years ago. Watch them beat you and I in the semifinals or quarterfinals. Sorry. Got uh, Jade um, Ben DiNucci is now with the Denver Broncos. I guess Sean Payton told him that if he keeps missing passes, Walmart's always looking for people. Then you got Marshall. You got Cam Fackner, Faulkner, Fancher, <laughs> Chandler Rogers at North Texas, Grant Wilson at Jack Shields at Old Dominion, and then Zach Wilkie at uh, Southern Miss. And then we keep going, Tier 14. And we just keep going down. I'm trying to – now I just want to see if there's any names I recognize on here. Tier 16. Good Lord. Andrew Peasley, Carson May from, my, from Wyoming. All the way down. Tier 17. Wait, he's still playing? Gary Bohannon? Okay, that is a... You know what? That is a correct way to name that. Gary Bohannon is still playing? I did not know that. I thought he was gone. That's the only name on here that I really care about. Gary Bohannon was at Baylor. And he lost the job. To <laughs> and now he's at UC USF. Yeah. We're running out of steam here. Please send help. Army, I don't really think it's fair to rank the military school quarterbacks. They're not actual quarterbacks. The, who do we got here? Shang Illingsworth at Nevada. Brennan Lewis. Yeah, there's not... Oh, God. Glimmer of hope. There's tier 19. Oh, God. There's so many tiers. I mean, there's a lot of college football teams. Then we got rounding out the FBS. Ten players. Wow. We got a lot of people here. Wow. But, like, it's just fun to look at all these different... Like, how many teams are on college football? I always forget about that. Like, I know there's 133 teams. It's... it's decently common knowledge but it just never really hits until you read out all the names of quarterbacks like if you're ranking the best quarterback per conference in college football like if you're looking at the american athletic conference the big hitters that stand out right away and i'm gonna try and avoid like saying the big name like the most obvious name with this but, like michael pratt for tulane you got john reese Plumey, who just brought up we got emory jones at cincinnati tana mordecai transferred from smu which is a big loss you got a lot Caitlin, clayton toon left uh houston went to the nfl gary bohannon again 111 usf gary bohannon is still there 
Still there. Don't know how the hell that happened, but the best quarterback in this conference is Michael Pratt. He's the best one. And then if you're looking at who's number two, off talent-wise, you'd probably say Emory Jones. Off just pure talent alone, not saying what he's going to be consistent enough to be considered the second-best quarterback or even the best quarterback in this class in this conference, but he's talented enough to be considered there. He just didn't do anything at Arizona State last year. Struggled at Florida at times. Looked good at Florida at times, but struggled for the most part. Atlantic Coast, obviously, like Cade Klubnick at Clemson. Jordan Travis is going to be the main leader, one would imagine, at this point in time. Again, you got some schools that lost their starting quarterbacks, like Boston College, the Wake Forest, NC State. We talked about Brendan Armstrong going there, but losing uh, Devin Leary is big. Garrett Schrader's a pretty good quarterback from Syracuse. North Carolina obviously got Drake May. Again, we said we're going to stay away from the big guys. For the most part, they're like obviously the number one guy. We're going to stay away from him. So when I said Jordan Travis, number one guy, because Drake May, we're not counting him really. We already talked about Phil Yurkovic going to Pitt. I'm very excited to see how he does with Pat Narduzzi. I think that's a very good fit for them. I think it's a better fit than Keen Slovis because Yurkovic can run a little bit more, which is something that they did with Kenny Pickett when his time there. So I expect Yurkovic to shoot up a little bit. If we're going off what I think they can be, apart from Drake May, I think Tyler Van Dyke can be the best quarterback in this conference. He can be. He has all the skills to be the best. It's just a matter of can he stick it all together. And he's, you know... Doesn't have a lot of fans at Miami anyways because he called out the home fans a few weeks like during the season, which is something that we made fun of because you can't do that as a starting quarterback. Doesn't matter if you're right or wrong, you can't say that. You can never bash the fans, your home fans, let alone that. But yeah, I would probably lean towards Jordan Travis being the best quarterback in this draft class. And not draft class. There's a difference between draft class and college quarterback. There's a big difference. It's like Tim Tebow. Like, Tim T was one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time, was not considered a high-value draft pick in the NFL. It was a shocker that he just got drafted 25th. So, you can't really consider him that, but obviously Drake May is the main one. But you go Jordan Travis. Where did where was Tyler Van... No, Tyler Van Dyke was on the last chance thing, but or one of the last chance things. But I like Jordan Travis a lot. Jordan Travis is very athletic, runs very well, put forth a very good passing season last year at Florida State. And Florida State should be better. They should, they're just continuing to go on the up, which is good to see. I like seeing Florida State do well. Big 12, there's not a lot of great quarterbacks in the Big 12. Quinn Ewers is the main guy, obviously. Quinn, I, I, just off the rip, it's Quinn Ewers. But you got Jalen Daniels we brought up from Kansas. Dylan Gabriel, peak, might be the best out of the quarterbacks that are here in the Big 12 because he's played well. When he was at UCF, played very, very well. But Oklahoma was just an absolute shit show last year. For their standards, finishing 6-7 and seven is unacceptable when you're in Oklahoma. But they lost a lot of people. You lost Lincoln Riley. You lost your starting quarterback, Caleb Williams. He lost a lot of key players this offseason. But Kennedy Brooks is there. So, early. no, 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 no. What am I talking about? What am I talking about? But I would say, like, I would probably lean towards – if I'm not – Despite Ewers, because again, I think Ewers is the standout favorite there. If I'm leaning away from him, it's probably Daniels or Gabriel. There again, who else we got? Your Tyler Show can be decent. Alan Bowman. I don't know why Spencer Sanders transferred. I guess I don't really know. Spencer Sanders would have been, but Spencer Sanders is gone. Shappen at Baylor, but we don't know if he's going to be the starter or not. I mean, Chandler Morris, potential-wise, Chandler Morris could be very good. Chandler Morris could be very good, but... Are we going to see the same TCU we saw last year? I don't know. But Quinn Ewers is the best in the Big 12 Conference. Big 10, right now, it is J.J. McCarthy. 
the thing is with J.J. McCarthy, he's got a lot of room to improve in the pass game. But Michigan being so run heavy and bringing back both Edwards and Quorum, that's huge. That's huge for Michigan going forward. Like, they're, they're going to be the early favorites to win the Big Ten. Early favorites. Like, the Big Ten, over recent years, apart from C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields, the Big Ten has not really been sport for choice in regards to the quarterback position. It's never been a deep, deep conference in regards to the quarterback position. It's been a really bad conference in regards to the quarterback position as of late. But again, Fields and C.J. Stroud changed that. Stroud obviously becoming the first Big Ten quarterback drafted in the top ten in freaking years since Kerry Collins, I think, in 95. And then Jeff George got drafted first overall, highest quarterback drafted since Jeff George in 1990. So there's not been a really great lineage of quarterbacks in the Big Ten right now. But J.J. McCarthy's probably the best. I think Kyle McCord, if he ends up being the starter for Ohio State, Kyle McCord should put up monster numbers this year. So I think at the end of the year, we could really see Kyle McCord being up there because he's got Emeka Ibuka, he's got Marvin Harrison Jr., So, and a good running game. So Kyle McCord could definitely be up there. But then you've got Tanner Mordecai, who I expect to be playing well this year. I mean, he put up good numbers while he was at uh, SMU. Almost forgot what school he went to. Cade McNamara is obviously a massive improvement from what Iowa had. Then who else? Hudson Card. We already talked about him. He's a decent option there for Purdue. Tulia Tagovailoa is a decent option. But J.J. McCarthy at this point in time is the best quarterback in the conference. But Kyle McCord, again, just given the weapons around him, could be the main guy going after postseason. Then we've got. I want to skip some of the other conferences because we're. I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much more time on this. But uh, keep scrolling. Go to the Pac-12. Obviously, Caleb Williams is the main guy there. But if you're looking at the rest of the big the Pac-12. You're probably saying Michael Penix. It's Michael Penix or Bo Nix. But that being said, I really like Cameron Ward. You've heard me talk about Cameron Ward a lot on the show. Fun quarterback. Very, very fun quarterback. Got a very nice arm. Got a lot of arm talent. Jaden DeLura from Arizona is a pretty solid option there. Pac-12's got some decent quarterbacks. They got some decent, decent quarterbacks. Like even Colorado, Shadur Sanders. Very good quarterback. It's just a thing that we don't know how good Colorado's going to be this year. I would like to imagine they're going to be like they they can't be worse than what they were last year. They cannot be worse. That is impossible to be worse than what they were last year. They'll win more than one game and won't look as bad as they did at Porson's last year. So Sanders being there alone upgrades the team a lot. They might go up. To, they might only win five games, but that's a mass improvement for what they were what they have been recently. But obviously Caleb Williams, you can't say him because he's too obvious. But Penix or Knicks, and then Cam Rising is obviously going to be DJ Uyagalele is going to be big. But Dark Horse would be Cam Ward. That'd be the Dark Horse one. Or, I guess, Shadur Sanders. But you're leading Penix or Knicks at this point in time. And then you got the Southeastern Conference, SEC. This is where it gets a little interesting. Because I don't think there is a main guy at this point in time. I don't really think there is that main guy. This is the first year in a while that I can think of off the top of my head anyways. Where... We don't go into the season going, hey, there's some studs in the SEC at the quarterback position. Like we've had Bryce Young. Last year we had Matt Corral recently. Like we've had some pretty solid quarterbacks in college football that have been hyped up before the season started. I don't think we're really getting that this year. The best quarterback based off potential is Joe Milton at Tennessee. Ten touchdowns, no picks. I think it is third year under Josh Huppel. Sitting behind Hendon Hooker, I think it's massive. Especially for how big he is, how strong his arm is, how de- how mobile he is. Potential-wise, we already talked about the comparisons between him and KJ Jefferson because there's going to be those comparisons because his skill set, size-wise, they're very similar, just two different styles of offense. KJ Jefferson's a baller, though. Jaden Daniels is a baller at LSU. 
Tyler Bookner or Jalen Milrow at Alabama, who ends up, whoever ends up being the starter, you would imagine they'd put up decent numbers this year. Nowhere close to Bryce Young because the weapons at Alabama, again, are not great, especially since you don't have you know Cameron Ladu or Jameer Gibbs anymore. That's big losses. So I don't think Alabama's going to really be pushing for anything this year. Probably be more of a suspect year for Alabama than most, but we'll see. We'll see. Bookner's not a bad quarterback. It's just, it's just not. Alabama's not going to be as good as what they were this year. And then uh, Georgia, don't know what they're going to do at quarterback this year. We got Graham Mertz at Florida, Devin Leary at Kentucky, Spencer Rattler off potential. Spencer Rattler could definitely be number one. Could definitely be. It's just that his attitude sucks. I don't like. I don't like. I don't want to like Spencer Rattler. It's kind of hard. To, <laughs> but I would say Joe Milton. I would probably lean towards Joe Milton as the quarterback here. But if uh, Jane Daniels and KJ Jefferson, Will Rogers at Mississippi State. I don't know if you mentioned him, but Will Rogers at Mississippi State. But yeah, it's not it's not a great year for the quarterback in the SEC as as what it has been in the past. So that's what I've got here for that. And then I saw something today, also, of ESPN's power rankings for the top thirty two teams in the NFL. There's really no prizes for guessing who the worst projected team in the NFL is going to be. That's the Cardinals. Cardinals are going to suck ass this year. It'll be bad. They got the Houston at Texas at thirty one. The Buccaneers at thirty. Completely different vibe around the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> Titans are all the way down at 28. Then we've got the Rams at 25. We've got the Panthers at 22. Colts were down there at 29. They're just really young. The Colts are really young. Packers are at 20. Which is going to be interesting this year. We've got the Vikings at 14. Jets at 12, which I think is fair. I'm glad they didn't overreact to that like everybody else is freaking overreacted. About your top 10 teams, according to ESPN, are the Jaguars at 10, Chargers 9, Ravens 8, then we got the Cowboys 7, Dolphins 6, Niners 5, Bills 4, Eagles 3, Bengals 2, Chiefs 1. I mean, that's pretty much what we've been saying, at least for the top 5 teams, top 6 teams. Or t- no, uh, yeah, no, top 7 teams, yeah, I generally agree with. Because we've said the top 3 teams in the NFC for a while have been the Cowboys, Eagles, and, and 49ers. The top three teams in the AFC will be, for a while, Chiefs-Bills-Bengals. But I think it's funny, most improved for the Bills' offense, and everyone was talking about how elite their offense was last year, and Josh Allen surrounded by elite weapons. The most improved angle on this team is the offense, which it is massively, massively, massively improved. And this team now is better than what they were at this point last year. Which I think it's funny how the angles kind of changed for most people out there about the Bills. This team is better than what they were at this point last year. Which is fun to think about, but also a little scary. I'm, I'm happy that people are doubting the Bills this offseason. I'm happy about it. But uh, I'm going to end it around here, but I, they got the NBA playoffs taking place. you got the Lakers and Nuggets taking place tonight, and then tomorrow night you've got the Heat and Celtics. Fun series. Fun series. That in the NHL playoffs, I, I have enjoyed both playoffs so far. Like, I think it's funny with the NHL playoffs right now. you got the Panthers and Hurricanes taking place on one side, and they got the Stars and Knights. That was not on my bingo card to start the year. I, I apologize, but those, those were not on my <laughs> bingo card. I did not expect the Panthers to actually rout <laughs> the Toronto Maple Leafs. I didn't expect the Hurricanes to be as expl- – I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that. The Hurricanes are a very solid team. I shouldn't say that. But the way they dismantled the Devils, surprising. The Knights, same thing with the Oilers. I wanted the Oilers to go far. I wanted it to be Oilers-Florida uh, Panthers in the finals. I thought that would be a very fun final. As for the NBA, though, 
the I mean, LeBron's in there, which is not really surprising. Nuggets, the only number one seed left in the playoffs. You got Jokic in there. And then you've got the Celtics and Heat. What did they say? It's the first eight seed to make the Eastern Conference Finals in I don't remember how many years, but I'm I'm cheering for the Heat and Nuggets. I think it'd be a very fun final. Very fun final. You got the lone one seed left and the lone eight seed left battling out in the final. But I know a lot of people would love to see Lakers-Celtics be a fun final. I mean, Lakers-Celtics can't really go wrong with it. We've seen it twice in my lifetime, so I'd be I'd be fine with it. At least twice that game. It might be three times. I can't remember. But, yeah, obviously the big story around the NBA is now, right now is John Morant. Allegedly with a gun again. Allegedly John Morant had a gun in a video again. <laughs> I don't know. That dude, I, I want to like that dude because he's so fun to watch. In regards from explosiveness, he reminds me so much of Derrick Rose, but man, come on, dude. Come on. <laughs> Gonna get suspended again. And he did that whole fake apology on TV. He's like, not who I am. And he does it again. I don't know. Allegedly. Allegedly, of course. Allegedly. Allegedly. But that's all I've got for you today. I do hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I sincerely apologize. Um, but yeah, we'll try to be better next time. If you didn't enjoy it, we'll try to keep the same thing as if you enjoyed this one. Kind of all over the place today, but that's how we like it around here on the Logan Blackman Show. So with that being said, I will see you all later. Enjoy the rest of your day. Peace.